from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. That's Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And you're welcome to join the conversation. We're taking calls all night. In the first couple hours, we'll be taking calls on what we're talking about with our guests. And then, of course, it's Open Phone America, and that is your chance to sound off, to be heard on this program from New York City straight to Alaska and everywhere in between. And happy President's Day. Today is President's Day, which was... Back in the days, used to be George Washington's birthday and Lincoln's birthday, and uh, we're going to have an expert coming on a little bit later to talk about Lincoln. Uh, but I, I love President's Day. I'll tell you a quick story. I um, I started my podcast that you hear me very rarely plug. This is America with Rich Valdez. I um, started that on President's Day in 2019. I'd done the first episode in 2018, but we didn't get rolling and, you know, signed to do it until 2019. And um, so today is that anniversary of This Is America, four years of This Is America. So uh, happy birthday to the podcast. And uh, make sure you subscribe to that, by the way. And, uh, and to, to the podcast for The Daily Show as well, uh, America at Night, Rich Valdez. You want to make sure you get that one as well. But I want to talk about a few things, right? Because obviously over the weekend, there was a lot of news, right? We woke up on Sunday morning saying, oh, my gosh, our president is in Ukraine. And we're going to get to the bottom of that in, in uh, hour number two. But to just give you some thoughts on that. I know there's a lot of people being critical, but I think this is what Biden needed to have done a long time ago. I think he needed to step up because, you know what, it's one thing for people to saber rattle like they like to do when, you know, Biden's in D.C. and the other one uh, is in the Kremlin and everybody's hanging out in their own place. But it's, it's quite the other when you have the president of the United States, whether he's Biden or not, he's still the president. I know a lot of people say he's the resident, <laughs> but he is president. And if something happens to that guy, we've got a big problem. They've got a big problem. So I think um, this is the type of, um, I'm going to use the term leadership uh, loosely, but action, let's use action. This is the action that I think he needed to take early on, was to show up and say, all right, look, this thing's got to end, right? And he, I don't think he said all the right things today. I don't think he said many of the right things. Uh, I think he said very little of what is the right thing. But he said something and he showed up and, and these things matter. It's kind of like Trump showing up in... Um, South Korea, North Korea, excuse me. When he showed up and he met with Kim Jong-un in the demilitarized zone, this was a big deal. And there were, again, there were critics saying, oh my gosh, he's cheapening and devaluing the presidency by meeting with a dictator, with a tyrant, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and again, they're entitled to that opinion. However, that handshake, giving him that status, there's a negotiation. And now Little Rocket Man had what he needed in order to feel like he could walk around with his chest puffed out a little bit. So today, I don't know if if that was the goal. I think it's quite the opposite. Uh, I think Putin might, might be a little bit uh, angered, or he might say, you know what, man, this is getting serious. This guy is actually showing up here unannounced. This is a big deal. And I think that's something, honestly, if we just look at the actions for what they are, I think that's something Trump would have done way earlier uh, if, if it was even necessary, because I think he would have been a lot more vocal from the beginning. But 
I wouldn't have put it past Trump to just show up somewhere and be like, hey, I'm here. What you going to do about it? What's up? What's good? Right. It, it just so I think that is one of those things that where I think Biden actually did the right thing by going. I know there's a lot of criticism on that. I will talk about it more a little bit later and see if our guests uh, disagree with me. But I just want to give you a couple updates because House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he has given uh, Fox News Channel uh, Tucker Carlson's program the access to 41,000 hours of January 6th footage. Now, I think that's a pretty big deal because this is footage that we've been trying to get. And of course, anytime McCarthy doesn't move fast enough, right away, it's a globalist rhino, deep state puppet. I mean, I just, it, it, the, the amount of emotional knee-jerk reaction that we have today is just, it, 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 I just find it astounding sometimes. I'm like, man, give, give people a break. The guy's done a lot of things. He put a lot of legislative priorities out there. And I'm not trying to be an apologist for Kevin McCarthy. I just think we got to give people a chance. He's our guy and he's in. What are we going to do, right? The time to sabotage him was before. The time to say, look, no, we want this guy, not that guy. You know, but when, when I said things like, I want Jim Jordan, and Jim Jordan came on his program and said, no, I'm with McCarthy. What are you going to do, right? I mean, at some point you have to say, all right, then I'm with you guys. If you want to see a win. And it's all about getting to the win. It's all about getting to yes. And I think we got yes today, right? So it, step by step, these are the, the, the levers of government. They move very, very slowly. But I think um, to his credit and to, cre- to the credit of the Republicans, all of the Republicans, things are moving a lot faster. Now, another thing I want to get to before the, um, be- the end of the night, if I could squeeze in a segment uh, somewhere between hour one and hour two, I will. I want to talk about what's going on with Project Veritas. It's an investigative um, nonprofit that is really an educational organization uh, focused on exposing people through hidden camera stuff and and, you know, exposing self-dealing and whatnot and any type of, um, you know, malfeasance that may be going on, whether it's corporate or government, et cetera. And James O'Keefe founded that organization. I, I worked with him early on um, in 2013, no, 2014 and 2015. And all I can tell you is O'Keefe's a lot of things, right? He's eccentric. He's this, he's that, whatever. Uh, but he's never changed, right? He's, he's the same guy he's always been. And he's, he's brilliant when it comes to putting these these, these long-term plans to get this information, to get it out of the people that are, are hiding it and to do it in, in a really um, impressive way. And, and the things that I think that they're alleging that he, you know, he took too many black car services and, and uh, you know, he flew around every now and again to do his fundraising, I, I think they're incredibly unwarranted. And it, it, there's so much more to this than meets the eye. Uh, I mean, it would be like saying, you know, this Valdez, he's just, uh, he talks all day for three hours. You know, that, that, that's been happening for a while now. So that's not really what's happening, right? So what they're accusing him of isn't something that's even egregious enough to, I think, remove somebody from an organization they started and brought to $20 million a year in, in fundraising. So I think it was a really bad move and somebody's trying to be a hero and be a little bit, um, I don't know, overzealous or altruistic. But we're going to get to that uh, because I think there's a lot to talk about there as well. Plus, it's President's Day and we're going to get to that. So lots to talk about. Uh, I don't want you to move a muscle. I don't want you to go anywhere because we're going to get into what's going on in the swamp, what's going on with uh, the, the latest from the Biden administration, in particular KJP. And I've been for days, I've been wanting to play this clip of audio of Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum uh, from, I think, from last Thursday. And I've been holding on to it because we just ran out of time each day. But here we are, and we're going to play it tonight with our next guest. Roma Daravi is scheduled to be with us, special assistant to the president uh, during the Trump administration, director of the um, uh, Strategic Communications Office at the White House. 
And uh, we're looking forward to having her join the show. So don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to um, I want to play a clip of audio for you before I bring in our guest because I want everybody to hear it, and, and I want to get her reaction to it. Our guest is Roma Daravi. Uh, you know her from the Trump White House, Director of Strategic Communications in the Trump uh, administration, and um, Special Assistant to the President. And over the weekend, uh, we have this clip, actually earlier, uh, earlier today, Whoopi Goldberg on The View, uh, she echoed what Don Lemon said. You know, he's under fire. And all this is, uh, you know, this attack on women about you're, you're, you're not new. You're the older generation. You're 51. Listen to this. The Washington establishment has failed us over and over and over again. It's time for a new generation of leadership. You're not a new generation. You're 51. What are you talking about? See, that's a new generation. Well, but it's, but it's not a new generation. She may be she may be younger than most of those people, but her her rhetoric is the same. She's saying yeah. the same BS. Same and I, I love the young kid, but you know what? The only way you're going to get younger people to run, dude, is if you're out there talking to people and saying, "Run!" Don't sit here and say we needed to look like us. We know that. We know that, but we're not going to vote for people who don't have our best interests at heart. Yeah. Okay? And, and also people that don't have experience. I think what's interesting in this country, and I think it's we're one of the only countries in the world that don't value age, don't value experience. I mean, I remember when my grandmothers were alive, I would sit at their feet and just take in the lessons and everything that they had to say. And now it's like, oh, You're too old. Well, really, because when that person is gone, so is that institutional knowledge. All right. Well, that's enough of them. Now, again, our guest, Roma Daravi, you can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Roma Daravi. Roma Daravi, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So I I played this extraordinarily long clip of audio because I wanted to make sure you you got to hear both Whoopi Goldberg and uh, Sonny Hostin as they were just piling on. And to me, this isn't about Nikki Haley per se. This is really about how uh, Don Lemon's made these comments. They're echoing these comments. And it seems like there's, they always say there's a Republican war on women, but it seems to me the war on women is coming from the women on the left. Yeah, it was a a long clip, a little bit of self-torture, if I may, uh, to listen to that over. But, you know, the war on women, it's so interesting, right? You say that many people on the left couldn't define what a woman was just a few weeks back. I mean, they had a candidate in the Supreme Court who had no idea what was going on, how to define a woman. And you have Don Lemon, who seems to have found the definition of a woman on Google. But, uh, you know, it hasn't been able to happen for quite some time. And so it's just it's quite uh, interesting to listen to this happen because, Really what the left is doing is they're playing games with the American people. They're gaslighting the American people. 
And, um, and it's very hypocritical because what they say actually makes absolutely no sense. And if a Republican had said that, they would have been, you know, lit on fire in the middle of town square. Yeah, 100%. Now, from the perspective of, of a media person, when I hear Sonny Hostin say something like, uh, you know, we don't value age and we don't. Val-, and I, I think back to debates that Ronald Reagan had where, you know, he, he used humor to get around the, the way they were beating him up for age. So it's nothing new. But it seems to me that because Biden's, I guess, their their presumptive guy, if, if he is, in fact, going to run. Uh, they're, they're, they seem to be softening on this position of age. And, and I just find it so interesting. What's your take? Well, you know, I've always been uh, told to really respect and appreciate those that came before you. And in this instance, you know, it really has just been taken wildly out of context. What Nikki Haley was calling for was simply a mental acuity test to make sure that we don't have um, someone who's brain dead Mm -hmm. continuing to make laws or run our country. Now, that has been twisted into a whole nother conversation because the unfortunate uh, spokesman at, at CNN, Don Lemon, who's missing now in action, nobody's seen him in a few days, yeah. uh, because of those comments, they've kind of kicked him to the curb as they should because, uh, you know, it's really just outlandish. But at the end of the day, um, you know, history is what makes this country and the people that came before you are so, so important. And when it comes to age, you know, the, the, saying is age is just a number. But when it comes to politics, I think we can learn a lot from the people that came before us. Does it mean that we need to do exactly what they did? Absolutely not. But does it mean that we should respect what has come before us? Yes. So, you know, this is a really complicated um, topic, but I think really it boils down to respect. And Don Lemon certainly did not have respect for Nikki Haley when he made those comments. Now, keeping on the theme of the media strategy, since you're a media person, um, my my thinking is I don't know that Biden is really winning the the PR war from the last polls I saw showed that most Democrats, I think it was some 60, 70 percent Democrats uh, were saying he's probably not the best guy to run for president. Uh, But yet he doesn't seem to be budging anywhere. And he's, you know, he's saying, you know, whatever, I'm going to do it. Jill, let's run. So he's running. uh, At least it seems so. Um, do, do you think that that I guess better position for the question is what are some of the missteps he's made and and what do you think he needs to do to to be taken more seriously? Well, unfortunately, I don't believe that Joe Biden is making many of the decisions that uh, we are seeing play out in terms of his actions, his words or any of the sort. So um, you have to ask yourself who is making those decisions for him. Mm-hmm. And that really is kind of the open-ended question here. But if you look at Joe Biden, the the decisions that he has made, for instance, spending President's Day in a foreign country when he could be spending it with American troops, right? So it's just you have to take a look at what he's doing physically because what he is saying is scripted. We know that it's not him, right? You see the palm cards. You see the notes that people are giving him. Very basic things like take three steps to the right and walk off stage are being written (laughs) down on a note card for him. I mean, it's laughable. It really is. But it's also quite concerning. So rewind back to when he was running for president. 
their strategy, their media strategy, if you will, was to keep him in hiding until there was a scripted moment. His Twitter is very engaged, but he's not running his Twitter, right? So keep all those things in mind. Really pay attention to what he's saying when there isn't a script around. Those off-the-cuff moments when he's walking to Marine One and a reporter asks him a question and he happens to, you know, answer one. Those are the times where you really get a picture of who Joe Biden is, not these podium moments. I mean, it, people will say those are the presidential moments. This is what we want. Somebody calm, somebody who is, is uh, able to take a step and not, um, you know, scare people. But really, the scare tactic is what gave so many of our adversaries um, the viewpoint that America was a, a country of strength and nobody wanted to mess with Donald Trump. Nobody's scared of Joe Biden because Joe Biden doesn't know how to take two steps forward by himself. So uh, I'm not sure what their strategy is. I don't think they have a media strategy for him. Really, their entire strategy is to keep him hidden until there's a script in front of them. Now, I, I've always um, wondered, you know, as much as I didn't like... Um Per circle back, Pasaki, Jen Pasaki. I, I, um, I feel <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, I feel like I like a Kareem Jean Pierre less. And I don't mean as people, I think they're both probably fine, lovely people. But in terms of their job performance, I think she was more effective, um, Jen Saki, than Kareem Jean Pierre. I think Kareem Jean Pierre gets out there and she doesn't really put her best foot forward, or maybe she tries, but isn't able to really kind of communicate that. I'm doing well here, or I'm pushing back, or I'm creating a, a different uh, spin. A and uh, I just wonder, why is she still around, and is it because there's nobody else? Well, Democrats really enjoy um, having political positions chosen based off of attributes that have absolutely nothing to do with quality or acuity or, um, you know, ability to do the job. So, uh, I hate to say it, but she checks a lot of boxes for them, right? And that is what the left likes to do. They like to find a candidate, such as uh, many of their cabinet members, like Pete Buttigieg, who checks the box for them. Are they doing a good job? No. Anybody with eyes and ears can see that. But unfortunately, that's how they tend to be making a lot of their decisions. They're so worried about the woke culture that that's what they're doing. Well, more on the woke culture straight ahead. We're on with Roma Daravi, CEO of Daravi Strategies. Don't go anywhere. The phone number, if you want to join the convo, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. We'll be right back. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We have uh, Kevin in Rolla, Missouri. Excuse me, KTTR has a question for uh, Mr. Ravi. Go right ahead. Hi, um, I was listening, of course, you played the clip, you know, about the Nikki Haley deal from the, what was it, The View with Whoopi Goldberg and Sonny and whatnot. Um, Whoopi makes the point of Nikki, you know, not being part of the new generation because of her age. She's 51, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then Sonny turns around and it's a contradiction to it, stating that nobody respects, you know, age in this country anymore. So, I mean, where, where's the, where's the gray area in that whenever they're basically contradicting the points of view that they're trying to give and slam Nikki for Got it. I see your point. Thank you for the call, Kevin. I appreciate it. And, you know, talking about this woke uh, culture, uh, Roma DeRavi is our guest, by the way, uh, former deputy director of strategic communications in the White House. And the um, the, the woke culture seems to be spreading to wacko culture. And uh, I know I know you went through a little PTSD when I played the Whoopi Goldberg for you, but I, I want to play <laughs> just a little bit of Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum because this guy, he's like Dr. Evil in real life. Check this out. I wrote in 2015 the book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, and I mentioned 23 or 24 technologies which would change the world, like crypto and so on and so on. The book was considered science fiction. All those technologies have become reality, and there are new technologies. And I would say we are in the second minute, or whatever you we want to call, we are at the beginning. When you look at that, at technology transformation, it usually takes place in the. He's talking about technology transformation, and and I think a big part of it is also using technology to silence dissent. Roma Daravi, what do you think about these wackos from the World Economic Forum? Well, it's shocking to hear somebody even refer to it as the World Economic Forum because in the D.C. political world, they just call it Davos. It's a fun trip Mm -hmm. that elites go on in Davos. It's very glamorous. There's lots of parties. Like a retreat. It has absolutely nothing to do with the economy. And so... When you listen to these speeches, uh, it's shocking for many reasons. But the the censorship that is peddled by these exact individuals that are the elite around the world is absolutely un-American. And what they should be focused on are economic issues. They should be looking to how different ways that the world can come together in order to help those that are of most in need. And certainly, from an American perspective, companies like 
Goldman Sachs and Microsoft and Meta and Alphabet, all these companies, these tech companies that are having thousands upon thousands of layoffs and a looming recession are focused on gender studies. So the World Economic Forum uh, is anything but its namesake. Yeah, I think this is one of those things where, you know, I, I normally don't even pay much attention to these people and I typically ignore them. And, you know, I'd have callers call and say, oh, you don't talk about that enough. I tell because oh, these guys, nobody takes them seriously. But it seems in recent years, more and more people are starting to take them seriously and more and more governments are succumbing to their will. W- what's your thought? Do these guys eventually take over the world? Does Dr. Evil become the, the mad scientist running everything or uh, is there still hope? <laughs> well, uh, I will reference the clip that you played of our great president, Donald Trump. His voice does bring hope. So I mm-hmm. would say that, uh, you know, a lot of these individuals that are in these positions of power that are attending uh, forums like Davos, like the World Economic Forum, they are speaking to each other. They are speaking in a silo. They're not in the real world, and they're certainly not in real America. So, I would say pay attention, talk to your neighbors, listen to what people like Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and and the greats from our past administration like Larry Kudlow. I mean, listen to those voices because these are people that are really actually talking to the American public, listening to the problems and coming up with solutions. It's absolutely not going to be these C-suite executives that are uh, in their own little bubble of – you know, climate change and, uh, you know, other issues that really just don't affect the day-to-day life of everyday Americans that are struggling. Yeah, it's a really good point. And Roma Daravi, let everybody know what you've been up to since leaving the White House. Well, I've had a, a, some amazing opportunities. I've started my own PR firm, and I'm working with a variety of industries, a political, of course, being right here in the swamp still myself, but some really wonderful nonprofits and private organizations, small businesses, and uh, it's been a, just a tremendous opportunity. I've also had my uh, fair share of time on air over the last couple of years defending Donald Trump, of course, mm-hmm. and pointing out the lies of the Biden administration, because really, uh, there's really nothing more important right now than reading between the tea leaves and and figuring out what the truth is of what you're being told, because it's become more and more difficult these days. So I've enjoyed uh, becoming a small voice in the pool of uh, politics and hope to continue to do so as the year goes on and more presidentials announced. It's going to get quite interesting here in D.C. No, I think you're being modest. I think you have a bigger voice than you think. Folks, uh, it's Roma Daravi, <laughs> at Roma Daravi on Instagram and Twitter. And let everybody know if they want to you know, engage with your, with your new firm. Uh, where do they find you? Absolutely. Well, the best way to do that is to just reach me on either of my social media accounts. Mm-hmm. You can also email me directly um, if you go to Daravi Strategies on Twitter or on Instagram. There'll be a link to email me there as well. Fantastic. Well, keep up the good work. Keep uh, beating the drum for liberty. And um, you're always welcome on this program. I hope you'll come back soon. Absolutely. God bless. And happy President's Day. Yeah, likewise. You too. 
All right, America, more to come straight ahead. We're going to get into uh, what's going on with Project Veritas, what happened with James O'Keefe, plus uh, a couple of other headlines I want to get to before we continue our conversation with the next guest coming up. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. Again, our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Our telephone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, if you want to join the conversation. And uh, let's go to Grantham, New Hampshire, WNTK, and check in with Deb. Hey, Deb, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Um, I, I, I was, uh, you know, I mean, I've been looking, uh, following uh, uh, Klaus Schwab and his little sidekick there, Yuval Harari. Oh, um, who, uh, Both of them are apostate uh, Jews, so they're unbelievers. Um, and really, if you follow through Revelations, you're going to find them right in there. Um, yeah, it's, it definitely you know, seems that way. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Yuval Harari um, talks about, um, you know, we're going to be able to track people and we're going to put it under their skin. I mean, what, you know, that's that's right in Revelations. Yeah, Um, I've actually even heard him make comments as to like, you know, we will become gods. People won't care about God anymore. We'll become gods. I think I played it on the show. And uh, it's just so odd to hear people talk that way. And there's always been, you know, snake oil salesmen and crazy heretics and whatnot. But this is a, I, I, these guys seem to have some actual gravitas and a whole bunch of money, which uh, you don't always get when you're dealing with these types of whack jobs, Deb. Well, they, and a lot of power. It, yeah. You know, I mean, they really do have a lot of power. I mean, they, you know, um, and so I, you know, I, I'm looking at it and it's, it's, they're following right there in the Bible. I think you're a hundred percent right, Deb. Thank you. And speaking of whack jobs, uh, you know, it's, and power. <clears throat> I want to talk about what happened with James O'Keefe at Project Veritas. <clears throat> now, listen, I know James O'Keefe. I've known him for some years. Uh, I worked with him. I was the national director of special operations for Project Veritas in 2014, 2015. And, um, you know, my job was to work directly with him to kind of come up with the, the overall plan, uh, which is usually, you know, he had the, this vision and, you know, I was there to kind of make it happen with the people that we had in the field. And he's a brilliant guy and he's got a lot of ideas and he can be quirky and he can be eccentric. It can, you know, at times uh, um, difficult to, to work with it, very rarely difficult to work with. But, you know, you can bump heads a little bit. And, and we did. But. I consider him a friend and uh, and and uh, really a consummate professional. I mean, nobody's out working O'Keefe, right? He's 24-7, 365. And, and I just think it's remarkable that, 
You know, he's built this organization, kind of like Steve Jobs built Apple, and then they got rid of him at Apple. But that was, you know, a corporate hostile takeover, whatever type of thing. Um, you know, where this um, is similar, but this is a nonprofit and a way smaller organization where, you know, I don't know if they have 75 or 200 employees, but it's not a huge huge multinational corporation. Project Veritas is a small nonprofit that has very dedicated donors that know exactly what they're doing. They're donating money because they like the work that James O'Keefe has uh, produced over the years. And over the years, he's been through a lot of things. And we're going to get to some audio from his uh, remarks today. But he was ousted from his position as CEO and from his board position at a nonprofit that he started in the carriage house's parents' garage. And I, I just think this is so... Um, who are you, right? Who are you that's on the board of this organization that he started to 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 kind of coalesce against him? Now, I know people do these things and they're going to come up with stories and say, oh, he was misspending the money. He was doing, listen, to do the things that, that Project Veritas does, I want to be real clear here, requires a lot of speed and a lot of money. That's just how it works. When you're trying to, to beat the clock and beat the news and beat this and beat that, there's, there's a whole science to it, and O'Keefe has figured it out. And, and when, when you know, I hear that you know, people are complaining that he took too many taxis or that you know, he, he had to fly private to be able to make it from here to there and back here and back there and back there in a certain time frame, um, I say, F you, follow up, right? Because this is... Um, it's not, in my opinion, it's not appropriate. It's not for them to decide. And whatever other allegations, they, they claim that he took a sandwich that wasn't his. So I'm thinking maybe he grabbed a sandwich from the fridge. He says he'd never even seen the sandwich. Uh, and I believe him. I mean, this is not somebody that needs to, to, to steal anybody's food. It's it just the things that they're alleging are bizarre, which leads me to believe that somebody somewhere is compromised somehow or somebody somewhere has sour grapes and decided to use whatever influence they had and power to say, no, we can do this without James O'Keefe. <clears throat> the problem is you can replace people in many ways, right? Um, but you can you really? You really can't. You can only introduce them to a new person that maybe people will like and maybe people won't like. And whether you're talking about a radio program or Project Veritas, if they think that they're going to continue to raise $20 million a year without James O'Keefe heading up the operation, and this is his brainchild. He is the brain trust. These are his ideas. He is the intellectual property. So when, when it comes to a situation like this, I think, you know what, good luck. Good luck. You're going to need it because it's not going to happen. James O'Keefe is Project Veritas. And without them, what's, what, what is anyone's interest in Project Veritas without O'Keefe? So um, we'll, we'll um, let's see here. We'll take a I, actually, I, I have a couple of minutes. Let me, uh, let me play this audio for you of O'Keefe. Uh, this is uh, today. He spoke with the staff at the headquarters in Mamaroneck, New York. Check this out. Even so, as a former board member told me 10 years ago, Project Veritas will never be stopped from the outside. It will only be because we stopped ourselves, right? I'll get to that too in a minute. Prophetic as it may be, that is exactly where we find ourselves in the situation today. A situation where I've been stripped of my authority as CEO and removed from the board of directors. I bet you didn't know that. I'll get to that in a minute. Contrary to what public statements may say. And by the way, I have copies for this. I will not give them to you yet. I will give them to you after I'm done. And there are board minute meetings, which you'll all get a copy of 
that read as follows, quote, James O'Keefe indefinitely suspended as CEO without compensation, February 10th. Yes. Quote, indefinite suspension of James O'Keefe from the board, dated February 10th, five days before the statement, saying that I'm still the CEO. I don't know why this is happening now, or specifically why this is happening suddenly right now. Listen, I, I can only surmise that, and as he does, and we'll play some more audio from him, that this is happening now, right now, because they've probably just released the biggest video story that they've ever released at Project Veritas, where they got the Pfizer people, um, you know, this research director at Pfizer suggesting that we ought to mutate the virus on our own to see how we could build a better vaccine. Talking about what the government, you know, claims they don't do with gain of function research. Is is clearly egregious, and you know, and he he on the video he makes the claim that this isn't necessarily good for the people, but it's good for us, in so many words. And you can watch that. I think we played some of it here on the show, and you could find it all over YouTube. Again, I just this bothers me in particular because I know what O'Keefe has gone through. He was falsely arrested for for being inside of a United States senator's office, and making a YouTube video. They claimed he was trespassing and tampering with phone lines and wiretapping and the FBI made all sorts of things against them and eventually got him on, 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 on a trumped up charge that was eventually um, pardoned. He was pardoned by the president. But I mean, just incredible. And this is in his early twenties because he was making a YouTube video. They've tried to stop him and he's been tenacious at every turn. So I think it's just incredibly unfair that now the people that were his friends or allies, his board members, people that he's employed, um, it's one thing to have a fight. It's another thing to, to go to war. And uh, it seems like they're going to war and they're trying to take everything he's got. And they don't realize everything that Project Veritas is, is him. Anyway, let's continue. Uh, O'Keefe uh, finished his comments uh, talking about his mission will continue even though he may have to change the name. Our mission continues on. I'm not done. The mission will perhaps take on a new name, and it may be no longer called Veritas, Project Veritas. I'll need a bunch of people around me, and I'll make sure, I'll make sure you know how to find me. All right, so that's James O'Keefe. We'll find out what is coming up next soon. Um, I got a text message from him a little bit earlier today. I don't know that he's ready to make his rounds on the media yet, in the media, but uh, we will find out what's going on with O'Keefe, and I just wanted to bring that up, and I'll bring it up a little bit again later because I think it's important that we talk about that. Anyway, don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We're just getting started. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Presumptuous me to say this, but I thought it was important that the President of the United States be here the day the attack began. 
So that's President Joe Biden speaking from Ukraine. He spent 23 hours in Ukraine. Now, President Biden's motorcade slipped out of the White House around 3.30 a.m. on Sunday without a big, flashy Air Force One motorcade. He didn't use Air Force One for this trip. The president vanished into the darkness on an Air Force C-32. Uh, to modified Boeing 757 that they normally use for domestic trips to smaller airports. The next time he turns up, 20 hours later, it was in downtown Kiev in Ukraine. Biden's surprise 23-hour visit to Ukraine on Monday was the first time in modern history that a sitting president in the United States visited a war zone outside of the aegis of the U.S. military. And this is a feat that the White House said carried some risk, even though Moscow was given a heads up. And uh, it seems that this took months to plan and hours to pull off. And over the next five hours, the president made multiple stops around town. He was ferried in a white SUV rather than the presidential limousine without any announcement to the Ukrainian public that he was there. But all that activity attracted enough attention that everybody would know Joe El Baboso Biden is in town. So I'm going to get to the bottom of this secret trip with former national deputy national security advisor, Victoria Coates. She's coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but... Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation, is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And I want to um, really get into this topic we were just talking about, Joe Biden, right? So Joe Biden, President Biden, makes this secret journey into uh, into Ukraine, through Poland, through this armored train. I mean, so much, uh, so much of an elaborate production to get him there. And and I'm of uh, of two minds on this, but I want to get some um, input on this from an expert because Victoria Coates was the deputy national security advisor during the Trump administration, and she's a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Victoria Coates, welcome. Rich, it's good to be with you. I'm glad this worked. Yes, me too. I know you were up in the air a little <laughs> while ago, so I'm glad you've landed and joined us. 
So um, uh, now being up in the air, were you part of Biden's secret travel plans? No, I will tell you, I have been part of one of these trips. I was part of President Trump's trip to Iraq at Christmas 2018. I'll never forget that getting up from the Christmas table saying to my family, I have to go. Right. <laughs> and you can't say where you're going. I said, I can't tell you. Uh, but I mean, this is remarkable. The president of the United States for 25 hours, 10 hours in on the train, five hours on the ground, 10 hours out was without direct U.S. military support. And nobody even seems to say boo about it. Uh, it, it really is extraordinary. Uh, you know, I, I am all for being supportive of the people of Ukraine, but this, this seems to me, you know, for that kind of travel where you're not properly supported, just extraordinary. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit, because I think this is... Um... Uh, an interesting thing, because I, I tend to think, you know, and, and these are the things I don't know. Right. So I look at this and I think, you know, if, if the shoe were on the other foot and it was Trump that made this secret trip to Ukraine, uh, I would I would think it's terrific. I would think it's great that he's there and he's flexing on Putin right in his own backyard, so to speak, saying, hey, look, I'm here. I'm Trump. I'm here. We're America. We're here. What? Uh, but you're, you're raising a good point where it was so secretive that it seemed almost unsafe. That's sort of the problem. And, you know, and, and to what end are we doing this is the other question is what what are we getting out of it? I mean, basically, it's a photo op. And so is it worth that kind of risk for for 25 hours of the president's time? And, you know, the other question I would have. Is. How, you know, how the aid that the United States is proposing to give to Ukraine is actually going to end this war. So, you know, the president reprised his favorite talking point about Ukraine, which is as long as it takes, you know, as yeah. much as it takes, but really with, with no strategy. And so, you know, this, I guess, was supposed to make him look, you know, vigorous and engaged uh, but but I really don't think the American people heard much to explain to them why he was in Ukraine and not in, say, eastern Ohio. Right. And I think that's a, that's a very valid point. It's a valid point to ask, you know, what's going on? When are we getting out of here? What are we getting out of this? But I think there's something to be said. And perhaps you tell me if I'm wrong. But uh, I think, you know, by Biden showing up and and showing face, they could try to censor that as much as they, they can. But I think eventually people in that region are going to be like, wow, the president of the United States was here. And and I think that sends some message uh, to to the Kremlin. I think it sends another message to others saying, you know what, for those 23 or 25 hours, we're very safe because we know that nobody's going to lay a finger on this guy because he's president of the United States. So in effect, it, it brings this uh, reprieve and, and kind of shows um, – a flex of American strength, so to speak. Do you agree? Well, I, would, I would hope so. You know, I, I worry that we had to call and, you know, tell the Russians ahead of time uh, yeah. that we were, we were coming in. That's a little unnerving. But you know, if, 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 if this brings a little bit of peace to the people of Ukraine, you know, I certainly don't oppose that. I guess I would, I would ask kind of at, at what cost. Um, but it. You know, I'm, I, 
it, it, it it's kind of a hard one for me, Rich, quite frankly. I mean, I, yeah. I want to be glad that he did it. Uh, I'm glad that I, I mean, I, many prayers were said, you know, once he was on the ground that, that he would be okay. But I just, I worry that their risk cost analysis is maybe not everything I would hope. Right. And listen, and I think that's that's that part sense. of the reason I really wanted to pick your brain on this, because, again, you, you've been a part of uh, this 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 apparatus, the national security apparatus of the United States, where you, you have a different understanding than I do. I'm looking at it, you know, from a purely political um, perspective as I make my observations. And, and I think it's, um, you know, we, as we as we the people, we we, we want to slice this as many ways as we can. And, you know, so that's why I like to get the inside baseball from folks like you. And let me just remind everybody, we're on with Victoria Coates, uh, former deputy national security advisor at the White House during President Trump's administration. And it's my thinking that the questions you're asking are the right ones. Uh, We do want to know, how do we get out of this thing? You know, again, I think the visit is just one small part of it. Uh, What he says at the visit is a different thing. It ultimately, to me, it becomes a situation where we we need answers to those things. We need um, a plan. We need. All right. So you showed up and you want to puff up your chest. Great. How about saying, you know, this this thing ends now. And, you know, and and I guess that's what I want to see the the president, not necessarily Biden or anybody who's going to be president. I want to see them kind of say, look, this isn't happening. And that's why I think Trump makes a reference off often um, about how this wouldn't have happened on his watch. And I agree. And I think if and if it did happen he would take the action to make it stop because that's what you have to do as president. Yet I feel like we're not getting there. You know, Biden shows up, but again, it's too little too late. It's kind of half-stepping where he's there saying, all right, I'm here, and he sends this partial message. But then the other part of it is, and we're going to be here as long as it takes. We got your back. And it's like, was it all for naught? Well, and I would go back to your your point just now, which is you see these things through a political lens, which is, I mean, I, I wouldn't see that as a drawback. I mean, that that's a feature, not a bug. I mean, everything that happens in the White House is political, and anyone who tells you it isn't yeah. is lying to you. So what I would say about this is, you know, as Americans look at what's happening here at home, and you know, I mentioned East Palestine, and there's the southern border, and people understand these are separate and distinct issues from Ukraine. And I mean, from the polling I've seen, most Americans understand why we would like to prevail in Ukraine. But the question becomes, you know, how can you spend 25 hours going to Ukraine and you can't spend four hours going to East Palestine? And and, and I think that the message to the White House politically has to be, you know, you need to embrace the and here. You have to do both. And so I think, you know, it, looking attentive to the things that are affecting the lives of everyday Americans while also being uh, responsible for our national security abroad is where where this is kind of falling apart a little bit. And then, you know, the, the, the issue about a strategy has, has been the problem since day one of the war. And it's, it's stunning to me that we're looking at the one-year anniversary next week of what was supposed mm-hmm. to be the three-day war. So, you know, why was, you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of State, why were they all up on the Hill a year ago briefing all the members that this was going to be a three-day war and this is what we were going to do? And, and there's never been an accounting for that. 
And there's never been an explanation of how we're going to pivot. And I know the president's supposed to give a major speech tomorrow in Warsaw, and hopefully we'll get something more than, you know, the undated blank check that what they're currently <laughs> promising and some sort of indication of, of where the U.S. national security interests are as we approach $200 billion that we're pouring into this. So if we're going to do this, we need to do it right. Folks, we're on with Victoria Coates, former uh, deputy national security advisor during the Trump administration. And uh, we're going to continue talking about national security and uh, a little bit about what what is going on with this January 6th stuff. Apparently now there's video footage that's coming out. I think that's a good thing. So more to come straight ahead. Our telephone number 8334-VALDEZ, 8334-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez with you and our guest is Victoria Coates. You could find her on Twitter at Victoria Coates at C O A T E S and Victoria Coates was deputy national security advisor during the Trump administration. Now she's a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation and uh, we have a caller in Durango, Colorado, K D G O. Jesse, welcome. You're on with Victoria Coates and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi. Thank you for accepting my call. You're welcome. And I hope you're both doing well. I was wondering, with all the uh, ammunition, weapons, uh, equipment, and everything else that the president seems to be giving away between, um, well, between the two, Iraq and Ukraine, what's how much do we actually have left to fight our own I battle? See. You're saying the uh, when he abandoned everything in Afghanistan. And what we're giving away now with uh, aid to Ukraine, does that leave us with a deficit at home? Victoria Coates. Well, thank you, Jesse. And and I spent a couple of very happy summers in Durango at, in, at camp uh, too many years ago to to mention. So you're, you're coming to me from one of my favorite places. But you raise a really valid question, which is, you know, while we can be supportive of the Ukrainian struggle against Russia, and nobody wants Putin to win this war and then maybe threaten a NATO ally. At the same time, we have to be mindful that there are other threats out there to us. And one of the points we've been making at the Heritage Foundation is that if there is an upcoming conflict with China, kinetic or otherwise, we need to be prepared for that. And there is no way our European allies think that they're going to be on the lead on that one. They're going to assume we will be lead. And that's why they need to be lead on Ukraine. And, you know, as I look at the numbers I've seen most recently, where we're at 196 billion, the Germans are at 172, and then it falls away. And the European Union is at 30 and change. The Brits are at 28. You know, where are the French in all of this? And why are we the ones giving the most? Why is the president making an announcement last week that we're putting something in the pockets of all Ukrainians? You know, why are we creating a welfare state in Ukraine? We should be giving them you know, 
things to fight the war, not money in their pockets. So I really think there's a disconnect here between what the American people will support and the president seeming to take the policies he's applied to America for the last couple of years, and now he's trying to apply them to Ukraine. Yeah, and I think that, that's a, a, um, an apt point to make. And I don't know that we get away from it. And I think this is why we also hear so many um, allegations of money laundering. And, you know, it just becomes such a questionable situation where, you know, is Joe Biden sending all this money over there to collect, the, uh, you know, a payoff, a kickback somewhere on the other side? I don't know. It's certainly starting to look that way because this is um, – an unprecedented amount of money that we're giving away. But again, we're not just doing it in Ukraine. Joe Biden's spending since coming into office seems to be through the roof in everything. It's really shocking. And, you know, uh, Representative Chip Roy, who's an old friend of mine, and I had a piece in the Wall Street Journal at the end of last week uh, making what apparently is quite a radical point, which is that (laughs) people who are hawkish on China should also be hawkish on the federal bu- budget, that we have to get our fiscal house in order, in order to be able to counter China, in order to be able to support Ukraine against Russia, that these things are one and the same. And it, the the howls of rage that we were somehow going to disembowel the Defense Department were remarkable and particularly shocking to me, given the fact that I worked for Don Rumsfeld for a number of years. I was like, no, actually, not planning to do that. But you know, that's where I think the American people realize that. They balance their budgets at the kitchen table every day. And they are watching our government, particularly, I mean, there's plenty of blame to go around, but the last two years have just been eye-watering in terms of the expenditures on non-essential discretionary domestic uh, spending, primarily on climate-related things. And that is not making us stronger. It's making us weaker. And I think people could almost viscerally feel it. Oh, for sure. And and I mean, to me, again, and this is not necessarily, you know, a national security point, but people aren't going to feel very safe if they're broke all the time. And if we're constantly faced with, you know, the the threat of having to and this is and this is the part where it is a national security issue where we are constantly having to go to foreigners who are oftentimes our adversaries or friends with our adversaries in order to to get the energy that we need because we're not producing enough at home. Well, and that's, that's where I think the, the administration is really the most sort of derelict in their duty is mm. that, you know, under the Trump administration, we did two things. We both made the United States a global superpower in terms of energy. One of the big three, along with the Russians and the Saudis, but we also reduced emissions more than any other administration in history because primarily of the conversion to natural gas. But what it proved is you could do both of these things simultaneously. And there is no reason in 2023 that any American should be energy vulnerable. I mean, we we have so much, as my president, uh, Kevin Roberts, likes to say, what the good Lord put under our feet, if we take good care of it and, you know, we harvest it responsibly, Americans can fuel the future. And we can help our partners and allies. We will not be beholden. I mean, the fact that that this administration is actually giving government subsidies to basically Chinese front companies that produce either EV batteries or solar panels 
is outrageous. That's, that's your money. That's our money that's going to the communist Chinese because they want to force a transition to unreliable renewable sources rather than manage, you know, a, a, a future energy policy in which we will all be adequately supplied. So it's, it's, it's really dumbfounding. And I think, I think it's going to be a massive issue as we go into the next election cycle. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's, you're, it's a great point that you make Victoria Coates. And it just, it goes to show you how, you know, not only is he derelict there, but you mentioned earlier, he's, he's derelict at the border. He's derelict on domestic um, disaster issues like Ohio. And it seems like whenever Biden feels it's inconvenient, he just doesn't show up and, and just turns a blind eye, uh, intentional blind eye to things. Uh, Victoria Coates, I want to thank you for, for being with us tonight because um, this is a, an interesting, an interesting set of circumstances when they sneak a president <laughs> into the country. Um, let everybody know how they could uh, find you. Uh, well, thanks, Rich. You can find me at heritage.org and on Twitter at, at Victoria Coates. And always you good to it. be with you. Look forward to Likewise. visiting again. Thank you. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Victoria Coates is on her way out. She just landed. We'll be right back. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And it's President's Day. I wanted to uh, spend some time looking at one of uh, the presidents, one of my favorite presidents, President Abraham Lincoln. And to do that, we've brought in John Cribb. Now, you can find John Cribb at johncribbauthor.com. That's the website. He's got a brand new book, The Rail Splitter. It's a novel by John Cribb, and he talks about Lincoln's early years. John Cribb, welcome to the program. Hi, Rich. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. I'm glad that you're here. Um, I love to uh, have really in-depth conversations in this long-form format that we have uh, on topics like this, because I think they take time to develop. And, you know, obviously you, you have quite a story to tell where, you know, you've written extensively on this. So I, I'd like to, I guess, start with this particular novel is about the early years of Lincoln. Um, how does it start off? It starts off with Lincoln uh, on the Indiana frontier when he is 17 years old in the uh, summer of 1826. And he has, uh, it's a, Starts off with a true story, as everything in the novel is. It's a fiction, but it's it's the you know it's the real story of Lincoln. But he has borrowed a biography about George Washington from a neighboring farmer, and has managed to ruin this book. And books are very hard to come by on the frontier. So he's got to walk over to this farmer's uh, house and tell him what happened and uh, and make amends for it. And what's your uh, I guess your general assessment on Lincoln as a young man? Uh, you know, this, the younger version uh, of himself. How does he compare to the Lincoln that you wrote about in Old Abe? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, it's just a fascinating uh, journey to watch and unfold. He, uh, 
you know, as a young man, he even though Lincoln, as we know him, is this iconic American figure, um, he's struggling with questions like, how am I going to get off the farm? And what am I going to do with my life? And where am I going to live? And, you know, how am I going to get a girl? I mean, you know, important questions that people face. And he's very driven, but at times aimless. He he called himself at one point a, a piece of uh, drifting, uh, a piece of a piece of floating driftwood. But it's fascinating to watch uh, this young man as as time goes on um, come to attach himself to something larger than himself, and that is uh, the cause of, of freedom and country. And um, and as he does that, he starts to emerge as the great figure that we know as uh, as Abraham Lincoln. And by the end of the rail splitter, he's he's moved in that direction. Wow. Well, you know, I, 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 you mentioned him being this large, iconic figure, and and I have to say, I've I've always thought the same of Lincoln. And part of what I, I feel like um, uh, makes him it is this, you know, uh, this interesting upbringing that he had, where he was for lack of a better word, such a regular guy and, you know, living in the log cabin and, and doing all these yeah. different things until he makes his way to Congress eventually. And, and I feel like the, the story that you're telling and, and uh, in your novel, the, the, that first part or the, those early years um, that you tell in the rail splitter, I think is, is important. What's one of the, um, I guess the uh, chapters or, or, anecdotes that's in in the novel that that stands out for you oh wow there are there are a lot of them but uh we don't have to narrow point, it to one we can take yeah, them one yeah, by one yeah. but okay. let's start with the first well one. yeah yeah well I, and you're right it is an important story in a lot of ways it's the quintessential american success story that right that the american dream the white house it is american dream that's exactly right it's the story of the american dream um and so you know there there are there are a lot of them. Uh, for example, uh, there's a, a story about, and it turns out to be an important time, a turning point in his life when uh, twice Lincoln uh, and buddies build flatboats and they load them with frontier produce like live pigs and corn whiskey and stuff like that. They float them all the way down the Mississippi River to New Orleans to sell this uh, stuff. And on the first first of those trips, he's attacked by river pirates. But that second trip, he's 22 years old, and they're coming down the Sangamon River in central Illinois on the way to the Mississippi. And they run into it. Um, they, they come around a bend in the river, and they see that somebody's built a dam across the river. It's powering a little grist mill. Uh, and But the water's running over the dam because it's spring. It's dropping about a foot on the other side. They decide to try to run over this dam, and they hit it. You know, So they, they pull hard, and they they try to shoot over the dam, and the flatboat gets uh, stuck. And uh, Lincoln has to get them out of this. And it's a great story about how how he how he gets them out of this uh, this jam. And uh, I'll I'll let I guess your your readers uh, read about it. I won't give too much away. But it turns out to be a very important event in his life because he ends up after they go to New Orleans, he comes back and he ends up living for six years in this little village where this dam is. It's called New Salem, Illinois. And they become very important years in his life, and that's those are the famous years where he's the clerk in the village in a little log cabin, you know, general stories, the village postmaster. He becomes a surveyor, um, and you know, he kind of tries to find his way. And this is where he decides to become a lawyer, and he gets hold of a copy of Blackstone's Commentaries of the Law and teaches himself the law. And this is where he gets into politics. This little village of New Salem, Illinois, out on the frontier, uh, the people of the village come to him 
and say, we think you'd be good at representing us in the state legislature. And so he runs for office in 1832. He loses, but he comes back two years later. He tries again. This time he wins. He spends four terms in the state legislature, and that's how Abraham Lincoln gets into, into politics. So those are very important years of his uh, life out there on the frontier. Well, I'd like to walk through them uh, because I, I think they're very formative to uh, not only to him and to your to your story uh, in the rail splitter, but also um, really for the rest of American history. So uh, yeah. let's c- continue on that path when we come back. Folks, we're on with John Cribb. He's the author of The Rail Splitter. It's a novel on Abraham Lincoln. Um, you want to definitely check that out. And his website, John Cribb, that's Cribb with two Bs, com. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here, at Rich Valdez on all the social media. By the way, I'm getting a lot of comments on Instagram uh, because of uh, some videos that we put up. So make sure you check us out there, at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. And our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. If you want to join the conversation, we're on with John Cribb, his website, johncribbauthor.com. And John Cribb wrote the book, uh, Old Abe. He's also written the the. I'm going to call it a prequel. <laughs> I don't know if we do that in the literary world, but it's called The Rail Splitter, and it's a novel which covers Abraham Lincoln's early years and follows uh, the, the previous book that I just mentioned, uh, Old Abe. So, uh, which was the final five years of Lincoln's life. And uh, John Cribb, we were just talking about how after his coming of age, um, our 16th president Abraham Lincoln. Uh, before becoming president, taught himself the law, became a lawyer, gets involved in the state legislature because people like him and they gravitate toward him. And he 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 makes that move to get into the Illinois state legislature. Right. And that's how he, yeah, he gets into politics. And so he moves to Springfield, Illinois in um, 1837. And this is really where he lives the rest of his uh, life until he goes to Washington as uh, as president. It's where he meets and courts uh, and marries Mary Todd Lincoln, and they raise their uh, their boys there, and where he becomes a very successful uh, lawyer. A lot of people think that Lincoln was just kind of this you know poor guy that went from a log cabin to the White House, but he turned himself to a very prosperous uh, lawyer in uh, in Springfield before uh, you know before being elected. Um, and of course, uh, you know his political career he meets a lot of setbacks on that on that road to the, the White House. Um, he loses the first time he runs for the state legislature. He loses, and he loses other races. Uh, he he gets serves one term in Congress, but uh, it takes, takes him a while to get there. And it's not a particularly great term when he's through with it. He thinks he's washed up in, in politics as far as holding office goes. But he runs for the Senate in 1855 again in 1858. Loses both of those elections before running for president in 1860, and of course uh, winning. So it's a story that's full of a lot of ups and downs along the way you know Lincoln meets set setbacks just like everybody else in life but he keeps uh you know he keeps coming at it again and again um and uh, so that's that's one of the real lessons of his life I think 
Yeah, and again, uh, you know, we mentioned it earlier that this is um, it's a real quintessential story of the American dream. And, and I really think yeah. it is because so many of us, at least I know my life, there's plenty of ups and downs, right? It's not just some meteoric rise to success in anything I've ever done. And I don't think that's the case for anybody. I think a lot of people experience ups and downs, and yeah. that's what makes people resilient and good at what they do and find new paths to do what, what they're passionate about. Yes. And, and, and yeah. Lincoln really personifies that. He really does, and there are lots of great stories about about that. And it's like, for example, one of the ones I love is that he, uh, when he was an established attorney, he was uh, in in Springfield. He was hired to be uh, part of a legal team that was trying a case that involved the famous McCormick Reaper that had revolutionized agriculture across the West. It was a patent infringement case. He was very excited to be part of it. It was tried in Cincinnati. He got on the train and he rode the train to Cincinnati, got off and walked up to the hotel where some of the other lawyers were staying on his you know, his own legal team, walked into the hotel, and one of the lawyers on his legal team, one of the lead lawyers, who was a very successful, very smart uh, and uh, uh, prominent lawyer from Pittsburgh, but, but a very arrogant guy, and he looked at Lincoln, and he said in a voice loud enough for everybody to hear, who hired that long-armed baboon, he said. He wow. said he can do us no good at all, and he completely cuts Lincoln out of this case. He won't let him say a word in the courtroom or, you know, take any of his briefs or anything. Lincoln is humiliated, but he doesn't turn tail and, you know, just quit the law or anything like that. It really just makes, you know, he makes up his mind to be the best attorney he can be. Uh, the great thing is that years later when Lincoln is president, he hired that arrogant attorney uh, to be in his cabinet. Edwin Stanton made him his uh, wow. secretary of war. And Stanton was a great Secretary of War, they worked well together, became good friends. Stanton was at Lincoln's bedside when he, you know, died, and he was the one who famously said, "Now he belongs to the ages." So he comes to have a great deal of respect for Lincoln. So Lincoln was often um, underestimated uh, during his life, and managed to, you know, time and again show people that he uh, he could overcome uh, their estimate of it. Yeah, and again, this is uh, another one of those um, examples of of you know, kind of the humility and, and that humility, I think, came out in, in his speeches and uh, he had yeah. a number of good speeches. But even this where, you know, he had this hard time with this this one attorney and, and then, you know, brings the guy in to be in his cabinet. It, it just shows you kind of the measure of the man, uh, his his moral fortitude, his character, if you will. It really does. And people did know him as a as a humble man. I mean, he really was. Now, he did he did have a, a, a great reservoir of self-confidence and uh, self-reliance. I mean, he uh, he had this inner strength. And I think that was I think that came from growing up on the frontier where, you know, you had to do things for yourself and fix things for yourself and get yourself out of out of jams like that time he got stuck on that, that dam in the river. And that gave Lincoln, I think. Uh, the confidence that even though he's coming from a very humble place in life, uh, he's going to be able to make his way uh, just fine. But it also gave him a humility that I think he carried with him uh, throughout life. And people often remarked on that again and again. Uh, people remarked that and wrote that, that he, he was a, a humble man. Uh, and that's, I think, much, uh, much to his credit. All right, folks, we're on with John Cribb. Uh, excellent conversation here about President uh, Lincoln on this President's Day evening. And uh, we're going to continue with John Cribb straight ahead. I just want to remind everybody that uh, at the top of the hour, we are launching Open Phone America. 
and I'm looking forward to speaking with everybody. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And, of course, if you want to chime in on the conversation right now with John Cribb, the author of The Rail Splitter, which chronicles Lincoln's early years, uh, give us a call. 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We are with John Cribb. JohnCribbAuthor.com is the website. Uh, the book is The Rail Splitter, chronicling Lincoln's early years. And John Cribb, in the few minutes we have left, um, I guess walk everybody through what they could really expect and give them every reason imaginable to buy two copies of your book. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, well, as I said, you know, this, this really is an important story, this journey from that log cabin uh, to the White House. There's, there's so many lessons uh, connected with it. Uh, for one, there are just a lot of great character lessons uh, because, you know, Lincoln was a man of perseverance and a man that knew the value of hard work uh, and a man that, uh, you know, was had a burning eagerness to learn. You know, he, he had less than one year of schooling his entire life, and that took place in the log cabins and schoolhouses out on the frontier. Uh, but he loved to read. He would literally walk miles to the woods to, to get hold of a book if he could out on the frontier. So there are a lot of, uh, you know, there are a lot of lessons about how character enables you to meet adversity in life and over, overcome adversity. Um, and then there's also a lot of, uh, you know, just the story, this is the story of somebody who, uh, you know, dug deep into uh, his well of, of God-given talents and potentials to live uh, the life to the fullest. And to live a good life, and by good I don't mean just a prosperous life. Although Lincoln certainly wanted to do well for himself, uh, and he wanted to prosper. It, I mean, but I mean a morally good life, um, and that really is, you know, what the American dream is all about. Uh, I think that's what the founders envisioned for this country: people who were free uh, to live to their fullest potentials and live uh, good lives. And that's what Lincoln does. And he's a, just a great reminder, in a lot of ways, of what this uh, what this country this is supposed to be about. You know, you bring up so much, um, so much of a of a great point there. In that we look at Lincoln, but there's a lot of great stories out there. And and you know, I, I'm really glad that you came uh, on today because it's President's Day, and I wanted to make sure we highlight Lincoln and really put him in 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 a in that kind of positive light where we're not talking about the uh, the debating around the Civil War. Uh, but it, to me, it is important that we don't lose track of of those moral stories of those um, those character lessons that you talked about, where these are the things that I think in, inform and inspire people to continue, you know, the, the future uh, generations that say, hey, you know, I want to be like Honest Abe or whatever and what have you. So I think it's important. And we don't we don't continue that um, that story. And, and if we don't have it in print, right, or if we if we're not telling the story. So I think, you know, having the story is part of it, uh, whether it's a part of history or not. And having a novel where you add some nuance and um, and, you know, different characters. I don't know exactly what you've added. Maybe you could let us know. Yeah. Uh, occasionally I invent a minor character just to kind of help the story along. But uh, this is the real Abraham Lincoln. He's not, you know, 
chasing vampires or killing zombies or anything like that. This is, <laughs> this is Lincoln. There's a, there's a date at the top of each chapter to let you know uh, when this uh, when this all happened. Um, and the characters that are walking off and on the pages are, are, are real people like, you know, Lincoln and Mary and their boys. And with old Abe, you know, people like Ulysses S. Grant and uh, Frederick Douglass. Um, so uh, I've, I've tried as hard as I could to, to stay, you know, stick to the, to the actual story um, of his life um, because it's, a, it's such an inspiring life. Uh, you know, it is it is a historical fiction because it's, I, that's you know I chose that vehicle as a way to try to really bring him alive, and that's what I wanted wanted to do is try to bring him alive. Got but it. the plot is you know is is not made up. It was all there, and there are a lot of inspiring stories. Like like for example, when he was a young man living in that little frontier village in New Salem, he uh, he and a partner had a general store. The lock had a general store, and I'm afraid they weren't great business people. They went out of they went out of business pretty fast. The store winked out, as Lincoln put it. And he went out of business owing a lot of money for inventory and rent and stuff like that, um, about wow. over $1,000, which was a huge amount of money for a young man, you know, out on the frontier in those days. And, you know, what most people, the way they handled that back then was just waited till dark and got out of town, you know, headed west. <laughs> right. and Lincoln, Get out of Dodge. Uh, Lincoln said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he paid it off. It took him several years and several different jobs, but he paid off every cent of it. John Cribb, I want to make sure everybody knows where to find you. Uh, JohnCribbAuthor.com is the website. Is there anywhere else that you recommend people go to grab a couple of copies of your book? Yeah, just anywhere books are sold, online, Amazon, or your local bookstore. All right, John Cribb, thank you for being with us on this President's Day. I appreciate it. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Open Phone America is coming up right now. Don't go anywhere because America at Night continues straight ahead. The city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And if you want to join our conversation tonight, it is Open Phone America. You are welcome to do so, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ, and that's Valdez with an S at the end. Now, um, we've talked about a lot of things tonight. We talked about President's Day. We talked about President Lincoln in particular uh, because... Uh, I've, I've just always been uh, kind of fascinated and enamored with Lincoln and his story. But we've also talked about Biden's secret trip to Ukraine to give away more money and not take a hardline stance like I wished he would have. I give him credit for going and showing face because I think that, you know, it, it slowed things down just for a second. But, man, he needs to do better. And, of course, and I don't think he's got to do better. And, of course, we've talked about, um, you know, just all of the craziness that's going on in Washington. There's going to be video coming out for January 6th. It's going to straight to Fox News to Tucker Carlson uh, to um, 
review and disseminate and do whatever. He's got the exclusive on that. So kudos to Fox News and Tucker for pulling that off and um, and to Kevin McCarthy for getting it done. And there, there's a lot of uh, interesting things out there. But I want to stick with this Biden story for a little while because I think um, it's it's important. Now, there's a lot of things that are going on with Biden, not the least of which is that he has – really kind of um, sold out the American people in so many ways, right? Uh, You know, whether it was the abandoning the equipment and troops in Afghanistan, whether it was um, just destroying the momentum and the industry of of the uh, energy industry in in the United States. I mean, you, you name it, there's so many areas with monetary policy, uh, adding to the spending, destroying the value of the currency in many ways, uh, creating inflation, I should say, at least devaluing it somewhat. This is a, a horrible place for us to be, but this is where we is, uh, where we is. <laughs> this is where we are with Joe Biden. And, and, and it stinks, right? It really does stink. But there's another area where, they're, you know, they say it's gray and that we'd be able to get away from it and that it's fake news. But uh, I've got a report from NTD News, uh, which is the television division of the Epoch Times, if you ever read that newspaper, uh, which uh, spells out exactly what's going on with something that was talked about a year ago or at least in, in this last year and, you know, kind of went away. And now it's about to take effect with uh, certain parts of what the United States would make a judgment call of their own when it comes to uh, quarantine or other public health measures, uh, the United States is signing a memorandum saying, you know, we're, we're going to get into bed with the WHO because, you know, we need to be more global in our perspective. Listen to this report from NTD News. Giving away decision-making autonomy for health emergencies the Biden administration is preparing to do just that. It plans to sign a legally binding accord with the World Health Organization. A draft of the pandemic treaty was published on February 1st. It now seeks ratification by all 194 member states. The document grants the WHO the power to declare and manage a global pandemic emergency All participating countries would submit to the authority of the WHO when a health emergency is declared. That applies to treatments, lockdowns, vaccine mandates, and population surveillance. International law professor Francie Boyle says the initiative is fatally dangerous. He says it would set up a worldwide medical police state under the control of the WHO. Now, of course, uh, this is obviously concerning, right? And of course, they're going to put out, you know, uh, fact checks saying, no, this isn't real, blah, blah, blah. It's pretty real. Uh, She was very specific in her report. There are certain health issues that are going to be signed over, whether it comes to vaccine mandates. You you heard it there. This is not where we want to be as as a society, as a country, as a nation, as a people, we the people. I think this is bad news, but I want to know your thoughts on that. So give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. We're also talking about, um, you know, everything else that we talked about tonight, including what's going on with uh, Project Veritas and my buddy James O'Keefe. Let's go to Shields, Michigan, listening on KDKA all the way from Pittsburgh. Kim, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, Um, What I called in about 
was uh, how angry I am with what the board of Project Veritas is doing to James O'Keefe. And I don't know what what the reasoning is behind it, but James O'Keefe, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not an expert on it, but he is Project Veritas. And the best thing he came out with was just recently with the Pfizer dot. You know, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And as far as the Epic Times, I love that. I get it digital on my phone. I, I, st- I got it a month ago. And a lady I know told me, that's all the news you need to know. And uh, I got it. Uh, you get like a seven-day trial. And then uh, the first year is like $60. And every yeah. year after that is like 100 And I love it. I get such good news. I, I also enjoy time. it. Yeah, they they do a great job with their reporting, and, and I think you're right. It, it's so unfortunate what's going on with with um, with James and with Project Veritas, and you know, ultimately somebody everywhere is everywhere. There's always somebody that wants to be a hero. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, it, it's so unfortunate. It really is. But all I could think of here is somebody is jealous. Somebody is was hurt. Uh, and was able to convince other people that might have been hurt. And it's unfortunate. It really is. All I can say is, look, you know, if you work in an environment that is fast-paced and challenging and difficult, um, you know, I think it's on you to leave, right? You know, let's say you work in uh, – I worked in talk radio. I, I worked for a very demanding host. Um, it was up to me. Do I, do I sit here and meet the demands of the job? Or, you know, am I going to – form a mutiny and try and get everybody against him and try and oust the guy. You know, obviously that's not going to happen. And it makes you a better person. I think when you adapt and, and overcome to your circumstance, but that's what a handful of people at project Veritas decided to do uh, in the name of helping James and helping the organization. They're going to burn this thing down to the ground and there's going to be nothing left of it and have James go move on and develop a, a new organization somewhere else doing, you know, the same work he's always done. And, it, you know, for what? I don't know. Uh, to me, it's ultimately it's just to hurt James. It's to hurt the movement. It's to hurt, you know, the the, the truth that that would come out otherwise. And uh, ultimately that hurts us, we the people, because we don't get the information. So I, I agree with you. It's, it, the whole thing is a shame and um, we need better reporting. There's not enough really reliable sources out there. And uh, lamentably, this is one that looks like it's falling by the wayside because without O'Keefe, there is no Veritas. I agree with you there. Thank you, Kim in Shields, Michigan. We're going to go to Ohio and Brooklyn and all across the country as soon as we get back. Don't go anywhere. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're going to get to your calls and more straight ahead. Joe Biden has snuck into the Ukraine, snuck back out. He he went to Poland. He did a speech. He pledged more money. 
O'Keefe has been ousted by friends of his who are on his board of directors who've turned states, in my opinion. Um, just really a bizarre day today, really, in the news. And uh, and Joe Biden still hasn't hit the brakes on this World Health Organization uh, takeover of our health care system. And, uh, you know, I want to know what you think about this. Let's go to Alex in Brooklyn listening online to WFAS. Alex, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, hey, Rich. Thanks so much for taking the call. It's great to talk with you. Oh, and by the way, welcome. about the, what this last caller was talking about, James O'Keefe, these people on the board are so stupid because James O'Keefe is going to build himself up elsewhere and they're going to go down the drain. So they're going to be the ultimate losers of the situation. 100%. But uh, yeah, but about uh, Joe Biden going to Russia, excuse me, to Ukraine, I think if he didn't have to go there. And for sure, for sure, if he if he never went to visit our border, why is he going first to Ukraine to, to, you know, talk about how their border has to be defended and how their country has to be taken care of before ours? That's that's crazy. And all this money that we're spending, I find it insane that we're spending more money than the neighboring countries of Ukraine are spending. And and it's like no big deal. Joe Biden is like, hey, I got all this cash. It's It's not mine. It's the people of the United States, but you can have it. Like when the world is going on, I would think that if you know, Russia is going to go after the neighboring countries that are neighboring with Ukraine. If he wins Ukraine, I would think these neighboring countries would be shelling out billions of dollars in cash more than we are, unless they're, they know the United States is paying all this money. So that's why maybe they're not paying the money. Uh, we shouldn't be spending all this money if they aren't. We're being taken advantage of. And it's not Joe Biden and the government. It's the people that are paying the taxes. And we're, we're, we're being affected by this in a big and very serious way. You know, Alex, you bring up a lot of good points. Uh, I, I tend to think Joe Biden did need to be there because I think the Americans needed to get involved, maybe not showing up if he would have been more vocal from the White House, per se. It might have um, added, you know, some some gravitas to the situation, but it didn't. So I think showing up was a way to kind of disrupt things. The fact that he let um, the Russians know he was coming. I don't know if it's more like a mother may I. Uh, you know, hey, dear Putin, I want to come through. But all, all I know is I think it was um, it was important that they know that the Americans are on board. Uh, I don't think we should abandon the Ukrainians, but I agree with you. We can't keep giving them money. And where is this money going? That's ter- that's I think, you know, something uh, uh, Deputy National Security Advisor Victoria Coates during the Trump years. She um, she mentioned when she was on earlier that she. um she really wanted to know what what is the end game here, and that's what I want to know. You know, we we can't. This isn't even our war, right? So, I mean, I understand that we're the big guy on the block and we're stepping in for for global freedom, if you will. But I mean, th- that goes oh, but so far we have a commitment to Ukraine because we made them disarm, and uh, it's you know we said we would protect them because they got rid of their nukes. So, I mean, there's a there's a bunch of reasons why we have to do what we have to do, but. I think it's still important that we have to um, know what's going on and have some accountability and stop giving this money to the Ukrainians, uh, maybe some weapons, maybe some expertise, some satellites uh, that we can help them with some some drone footage or whatever it is for recon, intelligence, that type of thing. But when it comes to just, you know, handing money over, 
I think we have to ask a lot of tough questions. And I think you're right. You know, Biden's been pretty much absentee at the border. And when he does uh, the, the one trip he makes down there, doesn't make it all the way down there. They clean up things in the wake of it. Joe Biden will not get caught dead in a bad photo op. He's not going to get caught dead in a situation that, that doesn't make him look good. And, and that's why he hides from everything. You know, they only trot him out when they can. So I think you make a good point, Alex. I appreciate it. Good to hear from you. Um, please call again. Let's continue our conversation to Phil in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA. Welcome, Phil. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, what I wanted to talk about is um, how the work ethic in America seems like it's gotten so bad. I live in Pittsburgh, and it's like any bozo here can get a job starting at 14 or 15 an hour nowadays, but a lot of people don't even try. And what what specific examples of uh, work ethic declining uh, are you thinking of? It all the time, like every business, they're hiring for 14, 15 an hour, and they can't. Get well, what they make per hour has nothing to do with their work ethic. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that. Um, you know, it's gotten it's gotten bad, and like, um, you know, can you um, cite an example? Uh, I mean, I have friends like that just don't e- don't even try, and they complain about. Oh, you know, they never I have see what you're money. saying. I think your friends are helping me when I go to like the local Wawa, where I think like a year ago, a year and a half ago, I'd go to Wawa, and I was always impressed with the service, impressed with the manager, with the entire facility. It was always super well run. And then uh, during the pandemic, you know, their staffing became very light and now they're desperate to hire people. They're always hiring. They have hiring bonuses, all sorts of things. And, you know, you go there now and it's it's hard to get what was regular service before is now like stellar, really good service or even my favorite burger place. I go there and I've been going there for years. My kids actually used to work there. And uh, so I know, you know, the, the ins and outs of this place and um you know, I, I've been there a few times lately, and let's say three times in the last six weeks, and all three times, two out of the three times, they messed up my order one way or another, and uh, that's a bad that's a bad percentage. And it, it's clear that there's just a lack of training, there's a lack of practice. They're not picking the right people. They don't have the right people training. I mean, they're not having their pick of the litter. And, and like you're saying, anybody's getting a job. And, and look, I'm not mad at them. So it takes some people longer to overcome a learning curve. People maybe not coming from um, the food service industry, so they have to adapt. I get it. I try to be patient, and I try to tip when I'm there to make sure that you know they don't mess things up. But lamentably, even if the the person taking the order gets it right, the person that's the cook is swamped, overwhelmed, and you know forgets that I said extra crispy on my sweet potato fries, and you know gives me these little soggy little orange things, and it, it's just it's like come on, you know. Who wants that? Nobody wants that. Then you don't want to come back, and that's detrimental to the business. So I think you're right. There's a lot of people out there right now that are in positions, and they're just like, I don't give a, you know, they just don't care. And uh, and it's sad that that's where we are, but that's literally how, how the society and culture is kind of making things right now, and it's uh, it's a bad situation, Phil. Yeah, I mean, I had open-heart surgery five years ago and, and I survived that and I still work and try and do my part and, you know, try to work for what I have. And, you know, I have a pretty nice life and everything. And I just think that, you know, that 
people feel better when they work, when they have a purpose, when they get up in the morning and, you know, want to accomplish something. You know what I mean? hundred percent. I think you're hitting the nail on the head. People want to feel mm-hmm. like they, they are invested and this is their future and they have skin in the game. And, you know, I'm working hard for the things that I want. And, you know, let me tell you, it's a lot easier to spend somebody else's money than it is to spend your own money. And when you start yeah, spending your, you, right, <laughs> this is like the idea behind healthcare. So as soon as you start spending your own money in one of those HSA accounts or whatever, the people all of a sudden file so many uh, fewer insurance claims. And, and that's uh, the lesson I think that we we're still learning in America is Biden's given out so much money that, you know, we're all going to pay the price soon and realize that is our money. Anyway, Phil, thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to KDKA and the rest of your calls coming up right now. I see you guys. I'm going in order of of that we received the call. So we'll be getting to you momentarily. Uh, Indiana, Montana, Ohio and more straight across America and back again. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night, and we are coming right back. Don't go anywhere, and don't move a muscle. Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. How can you spend 25 hours going to Ukraine and you can't spend four hours going to East Palestine? And, and, and I think that the message to the White House politically has to be, you know, you need to embrace the and here. You have to do both. That's Victoria Coates, a former deputy national security advisor, uh, ripping Biden a new one. And um, if you missed that interview, you can check it out on the podcast. You can get wherever you get your podcast. Just Google Rich Valdez America at Night, and you should have a link to Apple or one of the other places where you can get podcasts. And you can listen to the show over and over and over again. Send it to your friends. You can do whatever you like with it, which is pretty nice. Anyway, so make sure you check out the podcast. And while you're there, check out my other podcast. This is America with Rich Valdez. Weekly commentary only. No guests. Uh, pretty straightforward. Less than an hour. Boom, boom, boom. And um, we were supposed to do one last week. There was a little bit of an issue. We'll have it up this week for sure. So anyway, I want to continue um, our conversation with you guys because uh, a, a lot of people with lots of things to say. Let us go to my buddy uh, Paul in Zanesville, Ohio. We were just listening to Victoria Coates say he didn't show up in Ohio. He doesn't show up at the southern border. Things are running amok. Paul, what's going on? W-H-I-Z. Hey, good evening, Rich. Yeah, you know, I kind of felt like a bobblehead tonight, um, shaking my head yes, because that Victoria Coates, man, she was good. Um, mm. Great show. Um, Thank you. But, she I'd like to talk about the border and fentanyl if I could. Sure. Um, I have to tell you a little story here real quick if I can. I mm-hmm. had a brother, my, one of my brothers called me. He, he hadn't, I hadn't seen him in like three years. So he come down. We had a nice little uh, dinner at the pizza shop with all my brothers and sisters. My mother and father are deceased. How many and are you? So we was uh, seven. 
seven of nice. us, but uh, I got two, two brothers and a sister. That's really half, mm-hmm. um, half brothers and sisters because they had a different dad, but my dad was always their dad. Right. But, um, because he, he was never around. Yeah. But anyway, so we, we was feeling really nice. So we come home and we're sitting on a little Island in our kitchen, watching the TV. And I believe we was watching America's funniest videos hmm. and Love my wife show. gets a call and, um, I hear her say, oh, no. And I'm thinking, okay, what's this? So anyway, we learned that my wife's niece, um, who we knew she was um, having a little problem with um, some, you know, drugs, illicit drugs, you know, Xanax. But they're not illicit unless they're abused. But anyway, she got something that's called a, I think it's called a Zany bar or something like that. I'm not quite sure. You know, I don't get into all that stuff. I just sip my beer. Um, but anyway, um, she got a hold of some fentanyl, and Rich, she is dead. Oh and it my just God. happened Saturday. How yeah. old? So, you know, uh, 48. Oh, my 48. God. You know, yeah, grandkids, you know, and, and then everything else, and kids. And This um, is your I wife's cousin, you said? You don't... Uh, well, it's my wife's sister's, well, be her niece. Her niece, okay. It's, well, I'm really sorry to hear that. Daughter. My condolences to you and your family. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I mean, I, I knew her. She was a really nice girl. But, you know, the, the, something has to be done about this border and these open borders. And for Biden to go over to the Ukraine. Now, look, I feel for those people. I really do. But he's got to start paying more attention to the United States, in my opinion. And then, I, and I heard you in the first hour. You had you you know was saying a couple of different things about it. But you know, why are you over there worrying about their border? Huh, you should be here worrying about ours. And it just really it just really upsets me, Rich. And you know, yeah. things like that happen to me. I mean, you would think you would think, hey, that's never going to happen in my family. But you just don't know. Right. No. Listen. You know. I, I I feel for you. I really do. And, and you're right. I think uh, Biden needed to do what he did. He needed to do something because this can't go on forever. He has to stop the bleeding. He's scheduled to be president for a, a, another full year. So uh, we have to we need him to, to take action and, and slow this thing down. Uh, but I agree with you. Uh, the, the issue is we already know what Biden's going to do. Right. He's proven it time and again. He, he's not going to go to the border. He went, it took him two and a half years to get there. I don't think he's going ever again. And they had to clean up um, El Paso and they cleaned up this and they cleaned up that. They did everything they could to make it look like there wasn't a problem. And that's the border. Um, You know, with Ohio, Buttigieg is out there today saying, oh, we're going to, we're blaming Northfolk uh, Southern for everything. And again, they may be at fault. But my point is, their their approach in governing is never to say, hey, look, we're the government and we have a role and you're the private sector and you have a role, a role. And we, we all have a role to, to be accountable to the people. And instead of, you know, taking that approach, they take the approach that's saying, no, no, no. You know what? This is these profit seeking, money hungry capitalist co- uh, co- companies that are out here just looking to destroy everything they can get their hands on. And and it, 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 everything's hyper political. 
And this is why we're having, part of the problems we're having is because of this. Nobody's paying attention to what really matters. Nobody's paying attention to to the the spillage of the uh, the railroad crash. Nobody's paying attention to uh, what's happening at the southern border. People are losing family members. uh, And and Ukraine is, you know, making a, a fortune, if you will, even though they're getting destroyed. The situation isn't a good one. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, you know, I agree with that so much. I mean, I would like for them to keep track of the money. Um, sure, if they need some weapons, but here, but here's what's kind of got me confused now, if I could real quick. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, with the $80 billion that was left in Afghanistan, and, uh, and just like the lady said earlier, and now we're putting all of our arms and stuff, or get, you know, shipping them and all that stuff that they're eventually going to have to pay for whatever's going on. I think that depletes us as a nation, and we've got China on the Pacific. You know, just I, I think they're just licking their chops, going, you know, you know, they keep putting all these resources over there. They're not paying attention to their own damn borders, and I, that's my thoughts. Uh, I almost called you Jim. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's all right. It's an honor to be called Jim. Listen, um, I take it as a compliment. I, I, I'll say this to you, Paul. Uh, I, I agree with you 100 percent on everything. And what I will say is there's rumors now that China may be helping Russia so that they could stay in the war, in effect, having a proxy war between the United States and China. Between Russia and Ukraine, this is a, a an ugly proposition uh, because then China will continue to do what they do. They will become emboldened. They'll, you know, Putin's already taking whatever aggressive action he's taking. So we can fight the proxy war in Ukraine and China can just continue to have economic warfare with us, to have um, this trade war that we're having with them. I mean, just you name it. There's so many places where they're they're challenging us to, to be as polite as possible, where I would say if not outright, you know, kicking our butts in certain things like the balloons, for example. So, I mean, there's just a lot going on and um, it, it, it looks like we need to posture ourselves a little more aggressively rather than taking a, a pacifist attitude and, you know, kind of saying, oh, let's talk about it and, you know, let's go take a balloon ride and, and discuss it over dinner. Gee, I don't think we could do that. Anyway, Paul, thanks for the call from WHIZ. I appreciate it. More on these topics and your calls from Pendleton, Oregon, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Butte, Montana, Bedford, Indiana, all across the country. Straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Brown. He's bald and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Putin's war of conquest is failing. Russia's military has lost half its territory it once occupied. Young, talented Russians are fleeing by the tens of thousands, not wanting to come back to Russia. Not, from, not just fleeing from the military, fleeing from Russia itself. Because they see no future in their country. Russia's economy is now a backwater, isolated and struggling. Putin thought Ukraine was weak, 
and the West was divided. As you know, Mr. President, I said to you in the beginning, he's counting on us not sticking together. He was counting on the inability to keep NATO united. He was counting on us not to be able to bring in others on the side of Ukraine. He thought he could outlast us. I don't think he's thinking that right now. All right, that's President Biden giving his speech in Ukraine earlier today and uh, talking about the allies of of Ukraine. Let's go to Sarah in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Well, thanks for having me on. With regards to Ukraine, uh, I feel for the Ukraine people, but they should remember nothing is for free. And if we become a big ally of Ukraine and once this war is over, I guarantee you that the social engineers that are destroying this country will move into Ukraine, just the same way they move into conservative states, and they will start affecting their horrible social changes and uh, destroy the soul of the people the way they're destroying the soul of this country. So um, be careful of the aid you help, because uh, a lot of people with ulterior motives to get into Ukraine and start changing things. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think you're right, but I think that's already happening. Um, You know, lamentably, I don't think that that there's a place out there that isn't um, without a target on it. And Ukraine's been a hotbed for craziness for a long time. So, I mean, it's uh, it's not the most stable place. You know, I don't think we defend Ukraine because they're some bastion of ideological purity. I think we defend Ukraine because, A, we took away their nukes. We encouraged them and, uh, you know, encouraged them at, you know, at the threat of <laughs> of having problems with us, most likely, um you know, saying, no, no, we'll, we'll protect you, but you got to get rid of your nukes. And uh, they accepted that with the, um, what was that called? That the, the Belfort Memorandum, I think it was called. Anyway, whatever it is, that's less relevant than the point is. We have this commitment to um, support Ukraine and to keep them safe financially. Then we're the Americans. And the Americans, you know, when you're the big guy on the block, it's like that guy who goes to the gym and can bench 500 pounds. You know, if that guy's walking on the block and sees an old lady getting robbed and he doesn't stop to help, you know, why are you big for nothing, right? And I think that's what happens with the international community. They look at us and say, no way, no, you didn't. So we have uh, this image to maintain as, you know, world cop. And a lot of people don't like that, but I think that's inevitable because it's it's a matter of, you know, if you're young and, and strong and you see an old woman being attacked by someone that is younger than her and stronger and you're stronger and younger or stronger period of than the person that's doing the attacking, you know, it's kind of incumbent on you, I think, to, to say, hey, stop, cut it out, you know, maybe step in if you have to step in. But I think that's where, where we are and uh, we, we can't get away from it. I agree. There's a lot of bad that comes from this. It's costing us a fortune. We, uh, we have lots of risk. But ultimately, I think there's a lot of people that are compromised already in Ukraine, operating in the area. And it, it, this is a, it's like it's like ha- using a weed whacker to whack out your weeds. You know, you're always going to get those weeds, but hopefully you have a weed whacker and you could, you know, keep them down for a little bit. And I think that's what we're seeing right now with uh, with Ukraine, where there might be some weeds and we got to get rid of those. And hopefully we'll have a better situation. We, we shall see. Sarah, thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it. And we're going to continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. Uh, We're also going to continue with some of the audio we have. And there's an interesting story coming out of Canada 
that says that domestic pigs are now mating with wild boars from Canada. And uh, the results are are a super pig. <laughs> anyway, more on that straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. We are also troubled that Beijing has deepened its relationship with Moscow since the war began. Looking ahead, any steps by China to provide lethal support to Russia would only reward aggression, continue the killing, and further undermine a rules-based order. All right, that's Vice President Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, Vice President of the United States, saying that Russia may be getting into bed with China. Listen to those strange bedfellows. That sounds like a recipe for disaster uh, for the United States. Anyway, let us continue our calls. Let us go to um, Oregon. Check in with Michael on KUMA. Michael, welcome. Uh, Jim, good evening. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm rich. I, but thank you. Uh, or to uh, uh, Rich, yes. Uh, sorry, Rich. Uh, yes, uh, I was going to mention uh, you always treat your callers very fair like uh, Jim did, and um, we really appreciate that. Uh, I was going to say I'll try Thanks. to make it brief. Uh, about 3 in the morning, I heard the news alert that President Biden was um, in Kiev. And, uh, you know, I I don't agree with a lot of his decisions. I agree with, with you and most of your uh, callers. You know, we need to address our American problems, the serious uh, train derailment in Ohio and the border issues. Um, but I give President Biden credit for having the courage to go there. There was risk involved. I realize that. And um, my girlfriend is in Ukraine. I'm hoping to visit with her in a neighboring country, maybe next summer, um, Rich. And uh, it's been really brutal what a lot of those people have gone through with uh, the bombing, uh, no power, um, them being in the cold, not being able to cook hot food, um, and sometimes little water, um, just the utilities just haven't been there. Has um, she been hit by uh, or in the neighborhood that's been hit by any of the mortar shells? Uh, uh, no, uh, Richie um, runs a farm with her sister in the central part of Ukraine, but she has several friends in the bigger cities. And, um, uh, you know, like I said, um, you know, it's dangerous to go in there, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for any American, but especially for uh, the president. Um, you know, and I heard that we did kind of notify Russia and, that was probably a good thing. I think it, you know, Putin understands that. I think he that would be very, a very bad decision, very stupid to, to try to send missiles when our president is there. Um, so, you know, I can understand that, you know, giving them a heads up, you know, he's going to be there. Um, but I give him credit for having the courage to make that trip. Uh, but I would like to see him address, you know, our American issues like you know, many of your callers have brought up, you know, I agree with that. And, and you have rich also. 
Yeah, uh, well, thank you. I appreciate it, Michael, and I think you're right. Yeah, of course, and Victoria Coates said it well. This She said he needs to embrace the and. Right, it's both and. It's not just either or. We have to actually, you know, get things done here. He's got to have foreign policy chops and domestic policy chops, and he's got to maybe sleep a little less and work a little harder. I mean, that's just the job of being president of the United States. Let's go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA, Farentino. Welcome. Yeah, so I'd like to say about Abraham Lincoln, just reading a book about him, being self-educated. Uh, you know, he went and he got books and he, he learned uh, uh, and he learned about history. And he had like a year of schooling. Now, we want to dump more money in education. Now, these cats back then got very educated. He knew all about American history, about world history, with very little investment. So I don't know why they keep thinking they have to throw money at uh, You education. know, you bring up a great point and one that is near and dear to my heart. And it's why I, I, I talk about the stuff that I do, because I believe that those that came before us, in particular, you know, Lincoln is like a remnant of that. Uh, but Washington and others, uh, many of the founders, these guys are all riding the wave of the Enlightenment. And the thinkers that came out of the Enlightenment are who informed their thinking. And and that's what, you know, um, Lincoln was doing. He was following suit with, with those kinds of thinkers. And we don't have that today because, you know, the Enlightenment was born of, of believing that, you know, there's something good and holy out there and that we should believe in God and our our country and with our families in, in many ways. You know, I'm oversimplifying here, but um, just imagine if we were to have an Enlightenment today. I don't think we could. It's, it's just a different world. And it's a shame. But thank you, Farentino, for the call. Take care. Good night. And God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time. I am Rich Valdez. We'll do it again tomorrow. It's America at Night. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow, Tuesday. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.